1: Track four games at once with multi-view mode and catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
2: We're back with more
3: Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel on Sports Radio
4: 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. About uh, 42 degrees yesterday in Chicago, dropping I believe to 15 today. Bruce Levine, as uh, we hit uh, late December, in uh, the way we expected we would, but 2020 soon coming to a somewhat merciful end, and um, looking forward though to continued Saturdays with you here on Inside the Clubhouse on 670 The Score. And our next guest joins us on the Alpamonte Ford Hotline. Alpamonte Ford is in Melrose Park.
2: Well, Matt, nobody gets us closer to the hot stove than the, the king of all baseball writers and the dean of writers and broadcasters in our industry. Our good friend Peter Jammon. Gammons is nice enough to join us on a Saturday morning and Inside the Clubhouse. Peter, good morning. Happy holidays. Hopefully you're feeling healthy and all things are going well for you, my friend.
5: Thank you they are, yes. It's uh, I mean uh a friend of mine yeah. said to me yesterday, Now, you know, everybody says doesn't all isn't all the snow and the ice look really pretty on the trees? He says, No, actually I like palm trees better. And I said, yeah, <laughs> I'm in on that too.
2: <laughs> but Peter Yeah. Peter, uh you know, looking toward uh what has occurred uh, this week uh, let's start with a historical perspective from your point of view as to how the uh, the Negro leagues, their records, and the individual statistics can be meshed with Major League Baseball records to have a true picture of what is proper as far as the baseball record book in history goes. Your thoughts?
5: I think it's practically impossible to merge the two. Uh, I think it's a really good idea for us <laughs> all to have access to them. Um you know, it's gonna be hard to compare um uh Josh Gibson and Barry Bonds, for instance. Now, I know I've had a couple of people already say to me, Yeah, well what about the steroids? Well, you know, I mean, uh, they weren't exa- until uh two thousand five they weren't against the rules. Drug testing wasn't in place. That's a very hard thing to, to quantify. I don't know if we'll ever get to any perfect union, but I think it's really important that they be recognized and just because having grown up in New England and having known him so well. Um, I think it's really interesting, excuse me, that um, when he he made his Hall of Fame induction speech, Ted Williams was the first person to stand up there in Cooperstown and talk about the necessity They have the Negro League players recognized. And I think, you know, wherever, you know, wherever Ted may lie, he'd be very happy because it was very important to him. He always considered himself a Mexican because his mother was Mexican and he always sort of felt as if there were discrimination uh, that he fought against. But he was a tremendous spokesman for the Negro Leagues. And I think I know a lot of Uh, players who thought that that was one of the uh, maybe the greatest and most important Hall of Fame speech.
4: Peter, I I, I, I love the the fact that we are now talking about those years and thinking about those numbers. I'm fascinated as to what the effect is going to be on the record books. I, I love the way John Thorne put it, that history is process, not product so this is history in process. And with that in mind, statistically, got to figure out what counts, what doesn't, what records change. Like, I don't think the rate stats, I'll do respect to Josh Gibson's 443, but I feel like Ted is still the last guy to hit 400 at 406 in 1941. <clears throat> am, I, am I wrong about that now? No, do stand?
5: absolutely. No, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, it's not to downplay anything about Josh Gibson, but it's just that um it, it it was different the level was different um the schedule was different it, it's it's hard to to say another league the, the the record the the uh the 433 is greater than the 406 but it's fun to just just really bask in both of them we don't really have to have well this guy's uh you know home runs per bat or this guy's war or whatever was greater than somebody else's let's just enjoy all of what these guys did and and i think sometimes we get into that i thought we got into it much too much with the hall of fame and the question of the steroid era when people became obsessed with well but the records have changed well okay they've changed they changed in the 30s when um you know when they had the lively ball era i mean i Christy Matheson was great, he has the greatest postseason earn run average in history, one on one. But if he were pitching in nineteen uh in two thousand in the heart of the steroid era, I kind of doubt that he would have had a one on one ERA. And I just I doesn't take anything away from Matheson. It just means we glorify him. Every thing should be done uh, judging players and their statistics in contrast to their contemporaries. I mean, because they're only playing against their contemporaries. It's it's great for us to say, oh, well, the 1938 Yankees would have beaten the 1998 Yankees. How do we know that? I mean, it, it's just, it's fun to say they're probably two of the five greatest teams of all time. and Let it go with that.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, you guys both bring up great points and, and just bringing... Uh, uplifting the uh, Negro League status to equal to Major League Baseball by acknowledgement is certainly mm-hmm. something that I'm happy about. And I think that people, you both alluded to the fact that that is more the, you know, the ceremonial part of this is really important because, uh, you know, of the times we live in now and the uh, the respect that we pay to those people that they were, not only equal in all things, but in baseball as well. Peter, moving
5: on. Um, the, yeah, go ahead, Peter. Go, go ahead, follow up. No, I was just going to say, I would think that before Tony LaRusso's first game, managing the White Sox, whenever that happens uh, again, um, that there'll be some <coughs> mention and remembrance of Larry Doby, because Larry Doby was brought up on June 30th, 1978, to manage the White Sox. Bob Lemon was fired. Larry Doby was brought up. Of course, Bill Beck made him the first um, black player in the American league. And um, Larry Doby brought Tony La Russa upward, managed for three months in Knoxville. The only uh, experience he had as a manager or coach. And uh, he was made a coach um, by Larry Doby. So that was, that was Tony's introduction to the major leagues uh, in coaching and managing. And, um, I think it's a nice tie-in for the White Sox, Bill Beck, and their history.
2: Uh, the great Peter Gammons joining us in Inside the Clubhouse. He's Matt and Bruce. who are here for you every Saturday, 52 weeks out of the year, talking the game, the game of baseball. <laughs> Peter, uh, when you look at Major League Baseball uh, and Players Association, my perception is they, they, they learn nothing from <laughs> uh, this year of um shortened season, uh, you know, n- economic uh, strife, uh, economic fighting over what people should be paid. We're sitting here almost January 1st. We have no idea what the rules are for next year going into 2021. Uh, we have very few people signed going into 2021. Does it seem like baseball bo- on both sides, MLB side and the Players Association side, Never uh, has any memory of what's just occurred and what to learn from history.
5: I, I'm amazed. You're absolutely right, Bruce. And, and I'm astounded by it. I mean, we're sitting here, um, you, know, w- w- you know, almost into 2021. And I mean, we still have a mess of grievances where Major League Baseball, the Players Association, and agents are arguing about the actual service time players have going going into uh, 2021. I, mean, I thought that was all worked out before they, they, they came back last July. Apparently, they don't agree on what they agreed upon. So, I mean, that's how chaotic it is. The owners say, well, here, um, you, the Players Association wants the D.H., Fine. I think every, most everyone does, um, but um, they say w- we'll trade that, and, but we want to have at least 14 teams expanded playoffs. And the players, the players Association is saying that's just an excuse not to pay some players, which I think is completely wrong. I mean, I, I know um, the agent who, who's overseeing the Players Association believes it. Well, that may be for the $300 million player. But, I mean, if you're um, Marte, um, if if the Miami Marlins didn't think they had a chance in the expanded playoffs, are they going to make it a deal for Marte with Pittsburgh? No. Or Arizona? No. And do they pick up, if they didn't think they had a chance for next year with all the pitching they have, do you think they pick up a $10 million option? Of course not. I mean, I think forgotten in this and it really is starting to worry me is there is too much of the unions concept. We're going to protect the high, the highest level players, but middle-class they're going to find out if they're going to go start showing up for spring training in February and there are 200 players still unsigned. um, There's going to be pressure on the union and the union representatives that they've never faced before. And I, it's, um, I think they're just playing into the owner's hands. And, and I, you know, I, I don't hear anyone saying, let's all get together and decide what is, what do we want baseball to look like in 2023? Right. Mm-hmm. I never hear that. And it's, um, it really distresses me. I mean, I, this was looked up for me, um, but uh, remember, in, in 2000, I mean 1994, um, they went out on strike on September 14th. From S- September 14th, while they were on strike, until the owners implemented their 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 uh, new system with with a salary cap, uh, that was December 23rd. 26 free contracts got done. Um, I believe it's 17 have been done since the end of the, uh, the 2020 season. Wow. I mean, in other words, we're, we're maybe facing, um, a greater slowdown. And if you remember, I know it's a long time ago, but that 1994, 95 winter with the new system, remember they could sign free agents after three years. And, um, I just remember a semi social signing with coming to a deal with the Red Sox, right?
2: $9 million. How much,
5: how much, does, how much does that change? Baseball. <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey,
4: hey, hey Peter, I, I, I have to mention that the piece you wrote and published on December 4th, um, what next season might look like and what we'll be missing is, is the most beautiful baseball thing I've read in a long time. The, all those kind of free associative um, memories of, of your time at the ballpark between 1 and 4 p.m. Just keep that stuff coming forever. Pump it right into my brain, my veins and my brain, sorry, <laughs> if, if, if you would. But one item in there stopped me cold. It was an aside about Chris Bryant. Quote, Chris Bryant, because whoever gets the opportunity to find out why the fun has drained out of his baseball life will get a great player Great person end quote, having watched him very closely the last four years that that rings true and i don't know what happened i don't think it was the cubs' fault i don't think it is it just the nature of the game and the nature of a of a career to for Chris to reach this point and have um, a, a, as you say it seemingly the fun drained out of his baseball life
5: uh, I think there's a there are a lot of players, I think, that feel pressure, um, and you know they become numbers, they become um, they become figures in war between um, agents and owners. Um, I mean, Bryce Harper, I think, loves to play as much as anybody I know. Um, told me this spring that, that that year that he won the MVP, it was when he got when he won it. It was like, oh, that was what I was supposed to do. Yeah, and and uh, mm-hmm. he said it, it really wasn't fun. Now he's he's moved on from that, but and I thought this year I, I, I'm I'm an unabashed um, admirer of Chris Bryant. He's such a wonderful guy, and I just want to see. Him. I mean, that smile on his face when he was feeling that gr- ground ball in in a puddle um, mm-hmm. in, in 2016 was one of my favorite moments. I have I once asked somebody. You ever seen a guy just start smiling as he's fielding the ball, knowing that it's in the middle of a puzzle and the ball could slip out of his hand, but just the joy of having the opportunity to end the world's a uh, historic World Series? So, well, the only one I can remember is Aaron Boone uh, fielding the final out of a, of a uh, Cape Cod League um, playoff series, and uh, the same way, so just charging the ball. Throwing the person, he had a big, he had the, a monumental grin on his face. Um, and, uh, that sort of joy of playing the game. I just hope that, that there isn't too much pressure for you've got to do this, you've got to do that. You turn down to, to whatever it was, 200 million or something. You've got to do better. It's to be caught in the middle and, and having the game become such a, a product of business and not a, uh, a twelve-year-old's game. It, I, I think it's really depressing. I know. I mean, it, I've had a couple of um, guys. well I have this one guy that I know plays for the Bucks in basketball. He said he was uh, got a little bit down when he got taken out of a couple of games. He's basically a sixth or seventh man, and then all of a sudden he was sitting there going, "Wait a minute! You know, I'm a sixth-four kid from Arlington, Massachusetts, and..." I'm playing in the NBA. This is what I wanted to do since I was eight years old. And he's figured out <clears throat> how to be able to recreate being eight years old and playing in the NBA. And I, I find that one of the most fascinating psychological things in sports. And I think a lot of people have talked about Daniel Bard. In his comeback told me, well, he wasn't eight years old, but he, he, he reverted to being 15 again and just having fun winding up and throwing a baseball. And – All of a sudden, the the whole thing disappeared. And uh, I think when players get robbed of that, um, I think everyone needs to sort of rally around them and find ways to make it a joy again. Because the game is more fun uh, when the players are all playing with tremendous joy. I I mean, that's why Francisco Lindor is such a beloved marketing tool and why people love him so much. Because he always looks like there's no place in the world we'd rather be than playing shortstop, whether it's in Cleveland or Seattle.
2: Peter, we uh, thank you so much for your valuable time and uh, your friendship over the years. It cannot oh. be uh, you know, talked about here in just a few seconds. It's, uh, it's been uh, fun covering the game. I, my, my great hope is that you and I and the rest of the people that report on the game and love it so much are able to actually get into a clubhouse and talk to players, coaches, and managers again. Um, I just don't necessarily envision it at this time, and uh, I long for those days. Thank you so much. Have happy and healthy holidays. Matt and I really appreciate it, and uh, all the best of health to you and your family.
5: Same to you. And, Maddie, Marcus King, just to play a couple of those. Uh, go to iTunes. Download a couple of Marcus King's uh, um, songs, and you'll love them. He's—they're unbelievable.
4: I'm on it. Appreciate the tip very much. The Marcus. (laughs) Yeah, try uh,
2: Peter. Try uh, Kingfish Ingram as well if you're uh, into the blues. One of my very favorites. So that's that's a that's a joyful guy to listen to now too as well. Peter, thanks again. It's always great being with you.
5: Take care. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay.
4: Thank you. Peter Gammons, uh, the great Peter Gammons, uh, right here on 670 The Score. He's uh, he's not a bad guitar player. He's a self-admitted, you know, not not a great guitar player, but not bad. Um, Gammons can hold his own.
2: You shouldn't bash him like that. I mean, after he was (laughs) nice enough to give us 20 minutes of his time. Calling him a hack guitar player is just not where you want to go.
4: That's your word. That's your word, Bruce. I said, not bad. You're
2: the one who digressed, my friend.
4: Yeah, I did. It's true. Uh, 670, the score is where we are. (laughs) It's inside the clubhouse. Um, The great Pat Hughes, the voice of the Chicago Cubs, will join us at the bottom of the hour. So keep it right here on the
2: score.
3: A swing and a ground ball toward the middle, Baez has it, throws to first. Alec Mills has just pitched a no-hitter. A no-hitter for Cubs right-hander Alec Mills. A ground ball to Baez, a routine play. The Cubs are mobbing the young right-hander on the mound, jumping up and down. What a great moment for Alec Mills as the Cubs win the ball game, 12 to nothing.
4: Well, a great weekend for the Chicago Cubs and a great day for Alec Mills. You're listening to 670 to Score, and that the sound in the summer of the Cubs radio network and 670 to Score, end of a pretty darn memorable game in this season of 2020. It's inside the clubhouse, and our next guest, Bruce Levine, joins us on the Alpamani Ford Hotline. Alpamani Ford is in Melrose Park.
2: And of course, the voice you heard on that no-hitter was none other than our friend Ron Coomer. But... The play-by-play man is none other than our good friend, Pat Hughes, going into his 26th year of broadcasting Cub games. I believe Pat, 35th or 6th year in... It's longer than that now, isn't it? Uh, broadcasting Major League Baseball. Welcome.
3: <laughs> it's been many moons. I know that, Bruce. It's actually, next year, hard to believe. It'll be my 39th consecutive season of broadcasting oh. Big League Baseball. And I'm, I'm just, it almost sounds like I'm talking about somebody else. But first of all, Bruce and Matt, nice to be with you on this Saturday morning in December. And I hope you guys are doing as well as could be expected.
2: Thank you. Absolutely, we are. And having you with us is certainly a big part of that. Let's jump into our our good friend, Len Casper, who is uh, transferring over from Chicago Cubs uh, voice on television to the play-by-play man for White Sox radio. Your initial thoughts on uh, Len going there and uh, how surprised were you when you heard the news?
3: I was quite surprised, uh, Bruce. Uh, I've known Len for a long time, even before he became a Cubs announcer in, I believe, the year 2005. But I've known him for probably about 20 years. Um, I do know that he enjoyed radio, and you guys are both well aware of his contributions to Cubs radio these past uh, 10 or 15 years. He loves radio. He always has, ever since he was a kid in Michigan growing up and listening to the great Ernie Harwell, and Paul Carey, his partner on Tigers radio and and Len simply I think just wanted to be part of radio, and the three of us, Bruce and Matt and myself, we can certainly relate to that. We love radio, and um, I think in many ways, certainly baseball on television is essential, particularly from a financial standpoint. But I think that really baseball on the radio has always sold the game of baseball about as well as anything possible.
4: You know, uh, I, I, as soon as I, I heard about it, and, uh, and, and I'll, the, well, I'll tell you what I flashed to, was all those times when, Pat, the score and you and the Cubs Radio Network would be doing games and Len, who was doing one inning and some interviews pre and post, would be hanging around the back of the radio booth. Just itching to be part of the action for playoff games, you know, and and specifically I remember game seven, Pat. I was lucky enough in 2016 to be spending a little time in the back of that booth with Len watching you work that magical moment. And, And you just you always knew that that Len was dying to be not in your chair specifically necessarily, but in a chair calling a game of that magnitude.
3: It's fun, Matt. There's no question, when you get to the postseason and you're doing the radio for the local team, uh, it's about as exciting as things can possibly be. And the more that I think about that 2016 season that you're referencing, the more I appreciate it because I had done, well, I guess I'd been in big league ball for 33 or 34 years at that point, and I had never broadcast a single World Series game. So when it did happen, I absolutely cherished the moment and i tried to savor every single minute that i could and i'm glad just to have been a part of it and then to have actually you know made the final call and it's going to be a call and i'm not saying this boastfully i'm saying it's such a historic call i was the first cubs announcer actually to ever say The Chicago Cubs win the World Series. And I never get tired of saying that, by the way. But I just absolutely savor and cherish every single moment of that drama. And it had to do with baseball on the radio and the Chicago Cubs specifically on the radio.
2: Speaking of the radio and the challenges of doing Major League Baseball on the radio, Uh, My hat's off to you, uh, to Ron, and all the broadcasters uh, that do radio baseball games this year for being able to do half of those games in a very seamless manner, uh, all off of um, monitors rather than being at games. And I'm wondering, Pat, um, how do you think that may uh, not only, uh, I mean, uh, mission accomplished, but how that would improve uh, younger broadcasters that were doing Major League Baseball, and uh, the fact that uh, this was maybe the greatest challenge that, uh, that broadcasters ever had doing Major League Baseball
3: good uh, Good insights, Bruce. I think that um, yes, it was a little challenging broadcasting uh, the Cubs road games from Wrigley Field off of a television monitor when the Cubs were over at the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati or at pNC Park in Pittsburgh. We were there at wrigley it was It was Ron Coomer and Zach Zaidman and Paul Zarang, the engineer and myself, and then it was Len and j d and the television crew, but no more than fifteen people. Total, we're in the ballpark, and um, it is challenging doing a radio broadcast off of TV monitors because you're kind of at the mercy of the director and the cameramen on the TV side of the production. Having said that, with such extenuating and unusual circumstances going on in our country, I considered it only a minor inconvenience uh what i had to do compared to what so many millions of people have have had to go through this past year the suffering and the the disease and then the social unrest and it's just been a very very difficult and challenging year on so many levels so i'm not going to sit around and complain about having to broadcast a big league baseball game off a tv monitor i just wouldn't do that and i did my best I think it taught me a little bit in the area of discipline, whereby you cannot anticipate plays in a baseball game or any sporting event. You just have to kind of let them happen as a radio play-by-play man. Wait until you see it. Wait until you're sure what happened. And then quickly, as efficiently as you can, try to put it into words. So um, was it a challenge? Yes. But I wouldn't mind doing it again. And uh, as I said many times, I think we just needed some form of baseball in America in the summertime because we've become so accustomed to it, and it really is a very big part of so many millions of people's lives.
4: Hey, Pat Hughes joining us right here on The Score. Pat, having sat behind you For a few games, and behind Zach Zaidman for a few, I think I've done twelve games, and the Cubs are nine and three in my pre and post game career, which is uh, I feel pretty good about. Um,
3: That's a very good. uh, I think that's something you can take into Mitch Rosen, our boss, uh, the next
2: time you're negotiating your deal.
4: (laughs) I I think so. I think so. I want to be
2: behind you when you do that.
4: (laughs) Could could be a good seat for that activity.
2: Um,
4: (laughs) Better than mine, probably. Um, But but having sat there and then sat in in your seat for one game this past march uh did it did one game uh, um, on play-by-play with with the great ron coomer how long did it take you and and how comfortable are you now with reading pitches with being able to say that was a fastball that's a slider casually calling out oh there's a change up low and away just trusting your instincts on that seems to be such a Such a difficult thing to gauge, um, even from the most perfect of perspectives I
3: would answer that Matt by saying, first of all, experience is a wonderful thing in life, uh, especially in a performance, a live uh, performance like we have every day calling a baseball game and once you 've done I think i 've done between six and seven thousand big league baseball games, there are hundreds of pitches every single game so literally i've covered hundreds of thousands of pitches in my career you you kind of um, gauge the pitch by the way the batter reacts you can also see the speed you know the reputation of each pitcher is he a power guy is he a finesse guy does he throw a a large percentage of change-ups or curveballs so that's in your mind before the game even starts but as each pitch to answer your question directly you can kind of see the way the batter reacts to the pitch coming in. If it's a fastball and and the batter is right on it, he takes a big swing and either hits it or fouls it or misses it. Uh, and you can just kind of see it's it's like bang bang. Um, if it's a changeup, the ball doesn't get there quite as quickly. The batter might check his swing, he might lunge and hold up. Uh, it's just as it has a different look. And the same thing with curveballs. You can kind of see the ball breaking from side to side. Do I get every single pitch correct? No. I don't think any broadcaster ever does. For example, there's a very uh, slight difference between cut fastballs and sliders. They both are thrown very hard with a sharp downward break at the last second. They look like the same pitch. Um, so, you, you know, you do the best you can. You try to be accurate. Um, I, don't, um, I don't stress over, you know, getting every single pitch what it was thrown. Was it a slider, fastball, curve, change up, knuckle ball, knuckle curve, whatever. I, I, I do the best I can and just kind of keep moving on. But I would say experience plays a very big role in that ability or skill to call the pitches.
2: Pat, uh, speaking of experience, you have this great entity. It's called baseballvoices.com. <laughs> Explain what uh, you have for our friends for the holidays Uh, being a a bit post-Hanukkah and now pre-Christmas, and some of the great uh, valuable things that you have for people for holiday gifts.
3: Well, Bruce, thank you. You're always very kind to let me talk about uh, Baseball Voices. We have CDs, which are commemorative audio tributes to baseball's greatest announcers. For Cub fans, they've found the ones uh, the most popular to be Ron Santo, Harry Carey, and then the cd that we put together on the cubs winning the world series in twenty sixteen um, but lately the real popular thing has been my scorecard the official scorecard that i kept during game seven of the world series I also have scorecards on the Kerry Wood 20-strikeout game and the National League Championship Series Game 6, which is the game that uh, vaulted the Cubs into the World Series. But Game Seven scorecard has been immensely popular, and it's available. And I know mail has kind of slowed down. You've been reading and hearing about the Postal Service having lots of delays. I do think if you live in Illinois, and especially in the Chicago area, if you were to order a game seven scorecard today or tomorrow, that there would be a strong likelihood of receiving it by the holiday, by the 24th, which would be this Thursday. Um, it's at BaseballVoices.com, and I like to personalize them to Matt or to Bruce. The Chicago Cubs win the World Series with my signature down below, and it's been very popular and and it's fun. It's it's such a cool feeling. To have that connection with Cub fans, knowing that they have my scorecard, it's what I said at the moment, the Cubs win the World Series, and then it's a memory of the greatest win in Chicago Cubs history, and it's all right there on a scorecard with a signature and your name, whether it's Uncle Charlie or Aunt Betty, I'm pleased to to personalize those. And by the way, if anyone at this date, this late hour, would order three or more scorecards, I will personally call you, and I'll make sure to get the personalizations just the way you want. Okay, so it's at BaseballVoices.com, and there's a customer service number there if you run into any snags. And I can tell you that's 847-867-3682.
2: All I want is the Pat Hughes autograph bobblehead. Is that a possibility?
3: It is. Make me an offer. (laughs) yeah that's available too uh i think those are in the uh 40 to 50 dollar range and uh yes i'll personalize all of the bobbleheads as well bruce and to you i might even give you a discount
2: that would be nice
4: Hey, hey, uh, hey, Pat, thank you so much. I I broke my uh, scorecard, my Game 7 copy of your scorecard out the other night to show my stepdaughter who's uh, such a big Cubs fan. And she was amazed at the vibrant colors because the the color photocopy does uh, such a nice job, uh, the recreation. And you used a lot of colors, a lot of blue, a lot of red. In there. Maybe that's it, but they were they were vibrant. That's for sure.
3: Well I I always put the lineups in uh in a uh um, it, it's kinda like a felt pen. It's not a sharpie, but it's not a regular ballpoint. It's it's like a felt pen. I put the Cubs names in blue and I put the visiting team in red, and then I put their statistics. I hope for every batter we've always got a uh, current batting average, home runs and RBIs. Those are the three old fashioned Uh, standard stats that I like to use on a very regular basis, so I include those in black ink. So right away you've got black, red, and blue. Then i got the defensive chart. Then you've got the umpires. And then over on the right side I have uh, what are called topicals. And on Game 7 of the World Series there must be 10 to 15 topical items that I'm going to discuss with my great partner Ron Coomer or Zach Zaidman. And they might be Uh, trends in the series, or what do you expect early in the game, or how do the Cubs get their hits against Corey Kluber? Uh, Has a team ever come all the way back from uh, three games to one to win a World Series game on the road? Um, And so it's just what I do every single day. But for the Game 7 of the World Series, you can imagine, we spiced it up a little bit and tried to fill it with as much uh, interesting and uh, exciting information as we possibly could.
2: Pat, uh, we appreciate your time and you, uh, your friendship, uh, the great work you do uh, with us and on all the Cub games. We only look forward to a healthy, happy, and full 2021 baseball season. Thank you so much. Uh, happy and healthy holidays to you and the family as well.
3: Bruce, you're so kind. Thank you very much. Matt, the same to you. You guys have a a great holiday. The vaccines are here. They're on the way. 2021 is, is going to be a great year. And, and maybe I'll get another chance at the end of next season to say the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I'm sorry. I had awesome. to sneak that in a second time.
2: <laughs> <laughs> never get tired hearing it, right? Thanks, Thank you guys. so Happy much, holidays Pat. Take to care. Thanks, Pat. You, as you well. too.
4: About 30,000 people at Wrigley Field and at guaranteed rate uh, coming up this year if we can get the vaccine straight. What do you think?
2: Let's do Sounds it. like a, a plan. Let's stick to it. Uh,
4: 670, the score is where you are. When we come back, um, Joe Madden talked about his former boss in a way that uh, we think you'll find interesting. That is next as we wrap it up on Inside the Clubhouse before Mark Grody. Is it, is it Grody and Rosenblum at 11? Yeah, it is. Okay, good. Grody and Rosenblum at 11 on the score. Amidst all the Chicago Bears conversation this year on the score, Bruce Levine, the idea has been floated that maybe they should go to another sport like the Blackhawks did when they grabbed John McDonough to help them revitalize the organization and uh, figure out how to become a winner. Theo's former manager... Joe Madden was asked about Theo Epstein yesterday. Let's play that. I want to get your thoughts on it here on Inside the Clubhouse. This is Joe Madden on Theo Epstein.
7: Well, DePosesta has broken the, the the glass ceiling with that, right? He went to the Browns. So All I right. guess we've already had some crossover. Um, like I said before, and I meant it, uh, he could pretty much place himself in almost any situation and succeed at it. Um, his attention to detail is... Well, is, is, is uh, his ability to process and, and think things all the way through are incredibly different. So, um, bears, uh, whatever, man, I, I never even thought about that, quite frankly. Uh, but I I do mean what I said. He could literally do anything he wants, as long as the, the marriage is there and the match is made with the, whatever the organization may be. And if he's motivated to want to do it, he'll kill it. You think he could uh, win a Super Bowl with them? Uh, <laughs> He's won two World. Series. Was it two or three World Series now? That he's won.
0: Uh, I think it's three now.
7: Three now, right? So, yeah, he's ready for a Super Bowl.
4: What do you think, Bruce Levine? Uh, would he ever consider such a thing if offered?
7: I'm just
2: concerned whether it's a win, winning the Super Bowl, or or it's Marv Levy four in a row without <laughs> winning that uh, final. <laughs> uh, I mean, look, uh, there. Theo Epstein is capable of doing just about anything. We we know uh from his success and from his savvy that uh he could certainly do this because it's it's you know you're switching sports, but do you have to be an expert at um you know what the wide receivers do, what the uh, defensive backs do, what the quarterback does to bring in the proper people to run a championship caliber Organization Now, back in the early 80s, uh, mid-80s, Jim Fink's put together the Chicago Bears. And uh, he w- it was Jim Fink's and that talent, even though he wasn't there for the Super Bowl championship, that won that, that those guys were the guys that he brought in. Um, he went and became the president of the Chicago Cubs pretty quickly after that, in 1984 for a couple of years. He showed a lot of savvy uh, helping the Cubs as well. So I think it can be done. Seriously, I, I, I would not put it past Theo to do it.
4: There's Paul DiPodesta in Cleveland. Mark Lamping is the team president of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was once the team president of the St. Louis Cardinals in baseball. So there's there's two uh, active. Um, boy, this was a fun show. Thank you, Sean Anderson, producing. Thank you to our guests, Peter Gammons, Pat Hughes, and Cubs pitching coach Tommy Hoddy. Bruce?
2: Yes, let's do it again next week. People can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. I write Cubs and White Sox on our website at 670thescore.com. six seventy Have a great week, Matt, and uh, our good friends coming up next, our good friends Mark Grody and Steve Rosenblum.
4: I will be in uh, doing the Parkins show Monday through Thursday of this coming week and most of the following week, too. So looking forward to a nice long stretch of radio shows. Find me on Twitter at Matt Spiegel 670 He's Bruce Levine. Have a great week, Bruce.
2: You as well.
1: Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular-season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long.